Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. Hey Amarillo is supported this week by SKP Creative, a full-service agency using traditional and digital marketing strategies. One of its specialties is social media. If you're running a business, this quickly changing world can be more than a little tricky to figure out on your own. That's why you need to talk to the team at SKP Creative. They develop data-driven communication strategies to share your story and connect with your audience. Visit skpcreative.com today to learn more and schedule a free social media evaluation for your business. SKP Creative, make it happen. And as part of our podcast partnership with Brick and Nail Magazine, I want to give a podcast shout out to U.S. Cleaners with multiple shops in Amarillo online at uscleanersamarillo.com. You can read the free e-edition of Brick and Elm at brickandelm.com. Today's guest is Eric Jenkins. Eric is the CEO of Education Credit Union, a job he started in the summer of 2019. He arrived in Amarillo that year after a long career in Atlanta, Georgia. So he's a relative newcomer to the city. And I always like to hear that kind of outside perspective, even if he only got here, you know, just a few months before the pandemic began. So in this conversation, we talk about that. We talk about the role a credit union plays in the world of community banking and what Amarillo offers that Atlanta didn't have. We also talk about an interesting new partnership between the credit union and WT, which I think you'll find just as fascinating as I did. Here's Eric Jenkins. Eric Jenkins, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, absolutely. I, I know we've been discussing uh, this recording for a few weeks now, so I'm glad to finally have you in the studio. And I want to start with you the same way I start with all of my guests and just ask, why are you here? So how did you end up in Amarillo in the yeah. first place? Well, thanks. So I landed in Amarillo in July of 2019. Okay. Um, so I have worked in the credit union industry for about 30 years. Um, was working with a credit union in Atlanta, Georgia, um, for the past 12 years before I came here. Had the opportunity working with a recruiter. Um, Education Credit Union had a long-term CEO, Greg Bynum, that right. was retiring after about 20 years. And they used a national recruiter to find his replacement. And I was contacted by that recruiter, went through the process, learned more about Amarillo, learned mm -hmm. more about Education Credit Union. Um, and that process through the First half of 2019 led to me accepting the role and moving to Amarillo in July of 2019. Okay, and that's an interesting story because a lot of people I talk to are from this area originally, or they grew up here. You were, you were brought here, I guess, recruited to come here. Right, and, and it was, I'll be honest, it was very interesting at first. So when I was talking to the recruiter and they mentioned where Education Credit Union was, I was like, well, Amarillo, Texas. Okay, I know George Strait sings a song about it, but yeah. that's about the extent. I'd never been here. Um, and, the, and so in the early stage, it was as much me learning about Amarillo, learning about the panhandle, as it was learning about the credit union, um, you know, before we seriously got engaged and mm -hmm. started pursuing the opportunity. So. Before we get into that, did you grow up in Atlanta area or where are you from yeah, originally? So Columbia, South Carolina was okay. home for me. Okay. Um, and that's where I was born and raised. I went to school at the University of South Carolina, worked in credit unions in South Carolina until 2007. 
Um, in 2007 is when I moved to Atlanta. Okay. Um, took a role with a larger institution there and was in Atlanta until 2019. So Have you always a, been like in the banking credit union world? Yeah, or? so all, all in credit union. So I was actually a teller at the University of South Carolina for a bank in Columbia. And um, there was a small credit union down the street, and it used that bank as its depository. It wasn't even large enough to have an account okay. at the Fed. And so the credit union manager would come in every day and make their deposits. And I was a teller, got to know each other. And just one day they asked, hey, Eric, have you ever considered working for a credit union? I didn't know what a credit union was, mm-hmm. but they offered me 10 cent more an hour. So for a college kid, right, that's an extra pizza on Friday night. So I was like, sure, sign me up. Um, and it was, you know, I didn't think anything of it. It was just a college job, and it's turned into a three-decade-plus career um, been in the industry my whole working life. So. Before we talk much about Amarillo or even the credit union, tell me why you are sort of equipped to have a career in, you know, the finance industry and in, in banking. Sure. Is there something about you like that this really kind of presses your buttons? Well, that, uh, great question. So, um, so my degree was business economics. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been wired math, you know, and I used to, I would tell the joke regularly. So at the University of South Carolina, the kids in the economics program were the ones that didn't have enough personality to be accountants. All right, so they moved us <laughs> over to the economics program. Um, so I was always kind of wired that way growing up. Um, and so, you know, I, I feel like early in my career, it was those math and analytical skills that helped me advance and move up um, in the roles I had. But then I've really enjoyed at a certain point in a financial institution, the job changes for being about the math and the analytics. And it, be, it really becomes a people business, right. right? You know, it becomes about building relationships, comes serving the teams that work for you and with you. Um, and so I, I really feel like in my career, that's what's benefited me most is that understanding that, you know, as a servant leader, my job is to allocate resources to people to help them get the job they need done, to remove any barriers that are in their way, to praise publicly when they succeed, mm-hmm. critique privately when that's needed, um, you know, and just encourage creativity. And so anytime I talk to someone about being a leader, yeah, you have to have the technical skills. You have to know the job you're going to lead, but it's much more about serving the people that are going to be doing the day-to-day tasks and encouraging them to grow. That'll make you, gives you the best chance, I think, to be a successful leader. There might be other paths. It's the one that's worked for me. Well, and I've talked to a lot of people. I, I feel like there are, you know, a lot of folks who maybe work in a credit union or a bank as a teller, college, Mm -hmm. early 20s. And they just do that for a brief time. And then right. there's people that start that and they just say, well, I'll be a teller for the, a summer. And then, you know, 30 years later, right. they're the VP of the bank or there's something like that. Like, right. like it becomes a career. And some people, it just, they see it and they get right. it. And that's what they want to do the rest of their lives. No, I completely agree. I've seen that multiple times. I have examples everywhere I've worked of people in that scenario and then other peers and friends of mine in the banking industry. You know, think about it, banking. And, and when I say banking, I'm talking for-profit banks, credit unions, mm-hmm. other financial institutions. I don't think many people as a kid are excited about the idea of, I'm going to go work for a bank, right? I mean, it's not the sexiest type of People career. love money, but they don't always love <laughs> yeah. the idea of a bank, right? But um, for a lot of people, you get into the career, and, and it's a good career. I mean, it, it can be a um, – there tends to be opportunities for growth. And and one of the things I really like, and we'll talk about this some when we talk specifically about education credit, is we are doing work that makes – consumers' lives better, make the communities better in which we exist. So you can feel good about the work you're doing. Before we talk about the credit union itself, let's talk about, you know, coming to Amarillo. You know, you you had to get to know it beyond a George Strait lyric. So <laughs> what were some of your impressions of the city when you first started scoping it out or maybe right. when you first arrived? Well, I'll share, and I've shared this with several people. I believe, and I've been here a couple of years now, we need to do a better job as a city of selling ourselves on online, social mm-hmm. media things, because 
in when I started looking in early 2019, it was it was kind of hard being completely remote to learn more about the community, to find the good things that were going on. If you just did normal Google searches and things, right. you tended to see more negative information than positive. And so we've got to be intentional and proactive about telling our story because there's a great story to tell here. So in some of my very initial um, research, I was kind of like, really? I don't know. I mean, I'm not seeing a lot of, it wasn't like it was lots of negative, but there right. also wasn't it's lots of positive. It's easy to find the complainers. Yeah. And it was just kind of, there just wasn't a lot of data available to me to um, pull from. Um, but as I learned more, came out, came on site three different times before I accepted the job, spent time in the community, um, just driving around, um, just kind of under, so I'll share the big differences, obviously. So where I was at in the Southeast, here's here the rainy, hilly, yeah. and green. Right. So we're not rainy, hilly, or green. <laughs> so that, there was that kind of that just almost geographic culture shock. Mm -hmm. um, and, and there's some parts of out here that I love a lot more than what we had there. And then there's things there that I missed. You know, I could use a little more green and trees. Um, but so that there was that initial kind of just understanding the, you know, you don't think about it much, but just how we live our lives. It doesn't yeah. matter where you're at and the geography and the climate and um, weather, those type of things. But quickly as I came in and got kind of integrated into the community and started meeting people, it just came through so clear. It's just the nice almost sounds like a nice is a word I think we've kind of lost the definition of. Nice mm -hmm. is a powerful word, right? It's not just some throwaway word. And the people here are so nice, welcoming, friendly. I mean, people that I've been here a month, two, three months, I'm just willing to do anything for you. Um, people in the community that had nothing to do with education, credit union, reached out to me and and I'll be honest, a little cynically at first, I thought, oh, okay, well, someone wants to sell me something. Yeah, right? exactly. And like, people are just reaching out, hey, Eric, can I take you to get a cup of coffee? Can we go have lunch? Just want to make sure your transition to the panhandle goes well. I was kind of blown away. It wasn't something, I think where I was at in Atlanta was very transitory. Okay. So, I mean, just a constant. A lot straight, of professionals. Yeah, just a moving lot of in turmoil, and out. Yeah. Just, as a matter of fact, it was very rare to actually meet a native Atlanta where we lived. Hmm. Um, it was it was a new area. It had 20 years early, it had just been farmland and stuff. So it was just okay. new people moving in constantly. And so you have less of that in it. Obviously, we have people move in and people move out, but a much higher percentage of the people I interact with here, if they didn't grow up in Amarillo, they grew up in the panhandle or, right. or closer right. by, right? So they have deeper roots and deeper relationships and very common to talk to people who will be at dinner with different, they all went to high school together or their kids are, <laughs> so very close-knit community, but not a small community. I mean, mm -hmm. plus 200,000 people, this is a pretty large town, right? I mean, it's, I think the, for me personally, I think as I was researching it and talking to people, I think the distance to some of the other large cities makes people feel Amarillo is a little smaller. Okay. I mean, maybe, and I, I'll, I'll say isolation, not a negative term, but just we're just a long ways right. away from other metro areas. And so I think that maybe causes people locally to kind of also attach that with smaller. But, you know, at, at Amarillo size, it'd be the second largest city in Georgia. I mean, it would be obviously Atlanta's a behemoth, but, you know, it's it's as big or bigger than Savannah, Augusta, okay. Columbus. Um yeah, and that's not so, people. Yeah. People don't always think in, in right. terms of those places. They've heard of Savannah. Well, it, They've heard of Augusta. You right. know, yeah, and and Amarillo is just as big as they are or bigger. So one of the conversations I've had with guests on the podcast is is whether this part of Texas qualifies as being part of the South or part of the West. You know, do, do we have the Southern hospitality or do we have this this Western you know pioneer spirit? Yeah. I wonder if you have a perspective on that, having. You know, grown up in right. the South, sure. you've experienced that. Is is there a a cultural difference beyond the landscape, just to how right. people treat each other, 
um, that, that might qualify yeah. as one of those places. Well, yeah, I, w- I definitely wouldn't. I wouldn't consider where we are the South I grew up in. Right. And I also wouldn't say that's a bad thing either. It's different, Not, but I don't mean that as a negative at all. I think much more I feel a more libertarian, that kind of, as you, how'd you call it, the Western? The pioneer spirit. Yeah, the pioneer yeah. spirit. I, I definitely think there's a more openness here than um, what I was used to. And again, I don't mean that positive or negative, but... Um, I think libertarian is kind of a good word I would use for it. It's kind of a live and let live. Mm-hmm. And, and we're going to care for each other and love from, love on one another and you know, do whatever we can to help. But it, it doesn't feel as rigid in some okay. ways as places I grew up in the Southeast. Okay, so. well, let's talk about the, the work that you do. I know a lot of people locally will have heard of Education Credit Union, mm-hmm. which obviously you know has a history long beyond you know your tenure there. Yeah. Uh, but if they don't use the credit union, they may not really know what's the difference between this credit union and you know the bank that, right. that my parents go to or something like that. Can you kind of explain the role that a credit union plays in you know in the financial system? Uh, of course. So yeah. So from the consumer perspective, a credit union is really not going to look any different than the bank that you're doing business. So we offer savings accounts and checking accounts and CDs and IRAs and all the deposit accounts you would have at a bank. And on the loan side, we offer all the same type of loan products. You can get a car loan, a credit card, a mortgage, a home equity line of credit. So from a product services and meeting your daily financial needs, a credit union will look a lot like a bank as a consumer interacts with them, right? Okay. Same types of products and services. You're going to interact the same way. You can have a mobile app that you can look at your account. You can do mobile deposit, take pictures of your checks. and So all, a lot of the same type technologies and things. Here's where the difference is. On a for-profit bank, you have three main stakeholders. So you've got the customers using the bank. You've got the paid professionals that work at the bank. Right. But then you have a third-party ownership team. And that can be privately owned. It could be a family that owns the bank or a closely held group of private ownership. Or with larger institutions, it'll be stock ownership, right? right. So it can be owned by Wall Street um, or some type of stock ownership structure. And so the difference is the paid professionals at a for-profit institution when they're doing strategic planning and allocating strategic resources, they have three stakeholders they have to account for. Okay. They've got to make sure their customers are happy. They've got to make sure their paid professionals are taken care of. And they've got to generate a return for their owners or the owners will find new paid professionals right. <laughs> to come in and run the institution. So the credit union governance structure, we're a not-for-profit financial cooperative. So that'd be the technical legal term. And all that means is the customers of the credit union are the owners. Okay. So there's not a third stakeholder. So there's the paid professionals, and then there's we call them members. When you go to a credit union, you do become a member. Right. It's a there's a one time five dollar deposit that goes into an account that you own, and if someone ever leaves the credit, they get that five dollars back. Okay, so it's not uh, like you're paying monthly dues no. or anything. Well, and like that's that. it's funny that you mention that because it, it is a limitation for credit because what else are you a member of that you don't have to pay some kind exactly. of monthly or annual fee? So we yeah, so there's none of that. It's just that one time five dollar. We call it your share of the credit union since you're an owner of the credit union. And so for the paid professionals, now we do have a volunteer board of directors that are made up from the members. Um, So our members every year can vote on who our board of directors will be and their existing members, Mm -hmm. and they volunteer their time. They're not compensated. And so you've got that at the senior. So I report to a board of directors, um, and they're all local people that, and the majority of them spend their professional career inside one of the ISDs or WT or some type of education-focused institution. And so I report to them. 
then we have the paid professional staff, and then we have our members who are our customers that come in and do deposit accounts with us and take out loans. And so when we're allocating resources and making strategic decisions, we don't have that third stakeholder that we have to carve out return for. Okay. So what that should mean, not in all cases, but what it should mean is that we can pay a little higher dividend rate. We call our interest on deposits dividends since the member's the owner. Got it. But it's interest on the account. Um, we can often charge a slightly lower loan rate because of that. Typically, our fees will be a little lower um, than a for-profit institution. Now, that's not always... You can line up any particular product or service, and you can have a bank that you know, just comes into the market and sets their pricing sure. lower than anyone else in the market. So it's not a guarantee. But what I tell people, if if you don't want to have to price every time you go do something, you know, if every time you're going to get an account or buy a car or get a credit card, if you don't, if you're not the type of person that wants to go check every possible institution in town and see who's got the best deal, if you do all of your business with a credit union over time, your average cost will be lower than if you did all your transactions at a for-profit institution. Okay. And and then when I say when I use the term for profit institution, that is not a negative at all. I'm a capitalist. I'm all for <laughs> you know we need for profit banks. They do an amazing job. They fund things in the community we could never participate in from on the commercial side of the house. So we are consumer focused, right? So we're doing personal individuals, financials. Um, some credit unions do small business services, and we may over time, mm-hmm. but it's never going to be commercial level, very large okay. businesses that are banked by you know the local institutions that we all know, A&B and Happy and First Bank Southwest. Is there any difference on the service level because the institutions are a little bit smaller? Mm-hmm. Um, is, does it make it easier to build relationships, let's say, with with the members or to... Um, to develop that kind of service that feels like a, a personal hometown sort of thing. We sure hope so, right? And, and, and we preach that with our team and we encourage it. But but I'll be honest, if I, I would not hold out our only difference being that we'll serve you better than local. Because okay. I know that other A&B, banks here, yeah, I mean, they're pretty good job. Yeah, they're, they're encouraging their employees to treat their customers very well and to, to assume that we have some magic sauce and we right. can just do better customer service. You know, that that would be unrealistic. Now, we're going to strive to give the best customer service we can at all times. And I do think probably credit union members feel like they have a closer connection with the team members at the credit because we tend to have a little less turnover. Team members may stay longer in their mm-hmm. roles. And so there might be that opportunity to build um, relationship. But where I think the real difference comes, and we, and we can talk about this when you're ready, is it's really more about the member of the credit union doing business with that financial cooperative, because then what the financial cooperative does in return for that business, right? Okay. The investments we make in the community and the ways we um, serve what we would consider our sponsor. I mean, we we were originally chartered to serve the it was Amarillo teachers right that right. was that was eighty five years ago and that's, that's how most so credit unions really uh, started was connected to a certain yeah. segment of the population right? yeah so either a, a company some public employee group like teachers or federal employees or military bases a lot of credit unions got their mm-hmm. start there but the vast majority of them now through the decades have have consolidated right so okay. multiple credit unions that serve different membership groups will come together and now you have one credit union serving all those membership groups and we have all opened up to serve the community more. We still have a restricted field of membership, right? So it's not just that anyone in the world can join the credit union, like where anyone in the world could open an account at a bank. Right. Um, but the restrictions aren't overly tight at this point. If you, has, if has you live and work and... because of like financial regulations, or is that more of like a change that just kind of as the cultural shift happened, you didn't want to be just tied to teachers, right. you know? Well, if you, if, if you look back through the history of credit unions, um, up until about the 70s or 80s, just as we discussed, almost every employer and every military base and every 
group of public employees had their own individual credit union. And what really drove the initial consolidation was technology. So when everything was paper-based, mm-hmm. there really were no advantages to grouping people up into bigger groups. But once we all started going into computerized banking and you were buying the first mainframes and the first software right. programs and the first technology investments in the 70s and 80s, for for five small credit unions in an area to have to make that investment right. where one could make the investment and the others come in and take advantage of that investment, just much more efficient. Okay. So it was an efficiency play initially. You did also have a lot of credit unions that were founded to serve a, a company, and maybe the company went out of business or moved or shrunk, but you still had all those members there with financial resources in the credit union. And so that drove a lot of, we call them mergers, of credit unions combining with other credit unions because um, just because the company went away didn't mean that those you know five thousand people that had agreed to right. form a cooperative and do their finances together shouldn't still be able to do that. And then there was laws in the '80s and '90s that allowed credit unions to open up more to the community because what really started happening was you had a lot of consumers. So if you didn't work for a company that had at least a couple hundred employees, or you didn't work for one of these public service entities or a military. You couldn't join a credit union. Okay. And so there was a lot of consumer rights activity that went around and said, hey, just because I work for somewhere with eight employees, why can't I still have ex- access to this financial cooperative model? And so that's where the regulations started shifting and changing and allowing credit unions to open up to fields of membership that were geographic, not just. Okay. So for, for an ours, it's, it's our ten, we draw a 10-mile circle around any of our branches. And if you live or work in that 10-mile circle, you also qualify we still have our initial connections of, you know, an employee of any of the ISDs or WT mm-hmm. or AC. We all have all those education-based connections that we have and some other groups that through the years came into the credit union. But then we also, about 15 years back, expanded to just say in this geography, if you, okay. if you live or work, you're eligible to join. Okay, so you you had a, a long career working with other credit unions and, and institutions and then came to Amarillo to Education Credit Union. I, I wonder if you could talk to me just about what you found, you know, what yeah. what's the personality of, of Education Credit Union? And the sense that I have, and I'm not a member, but it's it seems to be one of the larger ones mm-hmm. in this area. It has a, a lot of uh, branch locations. Right. Uh, I don't know if that's the right terminology yeah, for it, so but we call them. Yes. Um, what's its position within the market? Yeah, so um, by asset size, Education Credit Union is the largest okay. credit union in the panhandle. And, and another way to look at credit unions is market share. So, for example, the credit union I was at in Atlanta was a, was very large, as a, a billion and a half dollars in assets and had about 150,000 members. So it would have been about five times larger than Education Credit Union, okay. a little less than that now, but but multiples of education credit in size. But then if you look at the market, we were a very small percentage of Metro Atlanta. I mean, you're talking 7 million people. And and so we weren't really known there. We were known by the people we served, and some people would know our name. It was nothing like the market share presence at Education Credit Union. It's known here, whether uh, you remember or not. Yeah, I mean, like I said, we're the largest player in the panhandle. We're very well known in the community. Um, We do have six current branches. We're opening two more over the next few months. Um, So we'll have eight branches um, in Amarillo Canyon, Bushland by August. And yeah, and so we're a a large player in this market. And we have over 30,000 members. And so as we touched on earlier, there's a little over 200,000 people kind of in the greater Amarillo area, I guess we'd say. So over 10% of the local population are members of the credit union. Not all 30,000 are here. We we have had people that moved away and kept their membership. But 26, 27,000 of those members are here locally. So um, we believe probably one in seven to one in eight households are connected to the credit union. The groups we serve the most are some of the largest employers in the area, obviously AISD and CISD, WT and AC. Um, 
and and while and, and while we're open to the community and we bring in lots of new members on a weekly basis that aren't connected to any of those groups, they're still by far our largest source of existing members and new like as new teachers get hired each year, the vast majority of them join the credit union um, the same way with you know the universities and things. So what's it like coming in to take on a leadership role with you know an existing credit union that you know, as as employees that have worked there for years and years, right. but you're the new guy, yeah. you know, the new leader, but you're also new to the area, you're new to the market. I mean, what kind of learning curve are, are you facing? Well, I'll, I'll let me start with the board because I, I give my board of directors all the credit because it was not risk-free for them to pluck somebody out of Atlanta, Georgia, yeah. and bring them to <laughs> Amarillo, Texas, right? And it's not that there weren't people locally that they could have hired and um, give uh, given the role to. So from my perspective, when I started looking into it, like I mentioned, Greg had been the CEO of the credit union for 20 plus years. Some of the initial research I did, the credit union was in strong financial shape, had that strong presence in the community. I wouldn't have come if the if I felt like the credit union wasn't strong and secure, mm-hmm. but I did feel like it was. And I also felt like there was great opportunity to do more um, and really expand and grow beyond. And so we had roughly um, 120, 125 team members when I got here. Um, and many of them had been long-term members. And so there was that learning curve with mm-hmm. them building trust in me and me building trust in them. It's going to sound strange. Things were going really well those first six, seven, eight months, and then we all know yeah, a pandemic I, set in. And at first I was like, oh, my goodness, what, what in the world? <laughs> you know, I'm out here new. Things are going really well. I'm excited, but now what's going to happen? In many ways, though, it, it was one of these pivot moments, and I've talked about it with the board. It could have either broken it and it wouldn't have worked and I'd have had to go <laughs> go back somewhere else. <laughs> Um, or we were going to find out if this was going to work. And it really kind of that baptism by fire, it forced us as a team. I mean, we were having to make decisions on the fly that the credit union had never made before, and the board was working with a CEO they'd known less than a year. And so really that kind of intense pressure that we felt, and we all just had to kind of lean in and trust each other and support one another, I think it actually accelerated where I'm at now. Okay. So as painful as it was, and I wish it hadn't have happened, obviously, from a professional standpoint and, and in my um the relationships I've built in the community and with my team at the credit union, my board of directors, I actually think that forced us to just lean in and trust each other a whole lot quicker. And so that went, you know, from that perspective, it's gone really well. And I couldn't be more proud of the team and the, you know, the, the things we were doing that just unprecedented. Right? We, there was no playbook to go look right, at exactly. to decide what are we going to do. And that and applies to every this. business, right. you know. Yeah. One, one of the things that I, I think when you're in a position like yours and you're bringing in new leadership, you know, in this area, there's an idea, well, let's let's get somebody who has been here a long time, who knows the area, who's come up through the ranks or whatever, um, because it's it's got that institutional stability built mm-hmm. in. And then the other mindset is let's bring in someone from outside because they're not going to feel bound by the boxes that we put around how to do things here right. and bring a, a fresh perspective. And I wonder if, if you can, you know, obviously you're the fresh perspective side. Can, can you look at maybe what you were able to inject into the life of the credit union that might not have happened had it been just another Amarillo person. I mean, coming in sure. fresh from the outside. No, I appreciate that. So let, let me answer it in two ways. So, I, and I should have did this in the first one. So one of the things I had to do when I get here is, is get plugged into the community, right? Mm-hmm. Build, there's one thing to build trust with my team, the board, our members, but I need to build trust in the community. And I've been so pleased with leadership around Amarillo and Canyon and how they have welcomed me and been open to having conversations, discussions, included me in things. And I feel like I have been able to make connections. And while I'm, I guess I'm still the new guy, I'm pretty plugged in, I feel yeah, like, yeah. And, and really engaged. And I just am so thankful that local leadership 
outside the credit union allowed me to do that and gave me that opportunity because they didn't have to, right? Um, but that's made the transition um, obviously much easier. So your question from a fresh perspective. So in my career, I mentioned I've worked for, this is the fifth different credit union I've worked for of varying sizes. Very early in my career, I worked for a really small credit union as a CEO. To be honest, I was too young. They shouldn't have given me the role, <laughs> but it was a time when small institutions were struggling. The regulators used to try to keep them afloat. Now they'll just, if a small institution struggles, they'll just close you down and merge in with somebody okay. else. But at that time, they were actually trying to keep institutions alive and give them a chance. And it was funny. I remember I was at the office Got a call from a, a headhunter types when I described them, but saying, hey, you know, there's a small credit union. We'd love to have you talk to you about potentially leading it. So I called my wife all excited, you know, and I go through the process. I come to find out they tried to give the job to everybody in town. No one wanted it. <laughs> and finally, they, well, there's got this kid over here. You know, let's, <laughs> let's give him a chance. But, you know, it's one of those scenarios just being open, what the hard work and meets opportunity is how luck happens. Uh, ended up being a 10-year run where just had all kinds of success and gained a lot of notoriety in the industry. And it was really exciting and fun. So I say all that to say, so I got to experience a lot of different things and almost building an institution from scratch mm -hmm. over that decade. And then in two other stops, just got exposed to many different ways that credit unions run their business. I did a stint for about three and a half years where I was facilitating strategic planning sessions and facilitated sessions for over 80 credit unions of all sizes, okay. from the smallest to some of the largest credit unions in the country. And it gave me just great insight into how different credit unions um, view their strategic planning process, how they allocate resources, how they view product development. And it just exposed me in a really deep way to many more things than someone who had worked in one or two institutions their whole career, mm -hmm. right? So when I came to Amarillo, and it was one of the things I just shared with the board through the interview process is, you know, I feel like I have a very broad experience set that uniquely qualified me for the role. Um, I've seen things work well places. I've seen things not work well, which is actually more important sometimes <laughs> to know the things mm -hmm. not to try. Um, and what I found when I got out here is that the team was really hungry and excited to grow and do new things. So that that was that was a little hesitancy when I came out. It was like. Are they going to be willing to go as fast as I want to go, yeah. right? Because um, I know there are things we're not taking advantage of today that we could take advantage of. Um, but the team has been hungry for it. And, and I'm not going to say there had not been times where in a meeting, anybody, Eric, are you sure? Are, is that Talk me through that again. That's not how we do things here. <laughs> yeah, that's not, that doesn't sound like that'll work here. But no, they've been open to change. And, and our members and consumers are voting with their wallet. I mean, we're, we're, we're growing rapidly because of the changes I believe we've put in place. And it seems to be going very well. And that's that's an ongoing story that that we've been telling in Amarillo. You have a lot of growth that happens because, you know, you you have people who maybe are visionaries that have left for a long time and they've gone to another market. They lived in Austin or they mm -hmm. lived in Dallas, and they come back here and they think, oh, Amarillo needs to do this thing that people were doing in Austin. And there just hasn't been anybody with that outside perspective mm -hmm. to push things forward. And so I, I think there is often a lot of value to bringing right. in that fresh air. That we might not have thought about because we've just always done it the same way here. Well, and I, and I want to share too, and it's not always a difference better, right? Right. There, there, there are plenty of times where I sit around with my leadership team and talk about something, and they talk me out of it. They're like, well, Eric, that might have worked well, but let me share let me share things we know here, right? And so they provide that insight back to me, and, I, and I'm very thankful that they trust me enough to to push back on things. So yeah. it's not that everything I've wanted to do that have we done. Um, they've talked me out of a few of them. Some of them I've put on the shelf, and I'll you know wait a couple of years and bring it back down again. But no, so it, it's not just that because something's from the outside and it's different, that it's good. But we need to be open to hearing all those ideas, and then let's vet them and let's talk about them. And if it makes sense, let's don't be scared to do something different. 
One of the uh, one of the new things that uh, that is on my radar that I know you're doing is a new program or a partnership with WT mm-hmm. that I first heard the idea of it. I was like, oh, well, that sounds why why hasn't this happened before? That's such a good idea. Yeah. Um, the Buff Smart program. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if you could tell me about that and sort of how that fits sure. into the the goals of the credit union. Yeah. And so what the point you're um, putting is actually an expansion. So back in 2017, 2018, Education Credit Union started a partnership with WT called Buff Smart, and it was initially it's a financial success training, um, well not training classwork course. Okay. And so WT students can go through this course and they learn how to buy a first car, rent a first apartment, do a resume, credit card debts student loan debt. It's just financial success training. Um, I say it's been in place since 2018. Over 300 students have completed the course. They're getting college credit for doing it and learning a lot about how to live their financial life, not make bad financial decisions early in life that have lifelong impacts. Um, But over the past, well, a year and a half now is when we started the conversation, we said, well, how could we expand this and make it even more beneficial for the students? And so what we are doing in this expansion of BuffSmart is we currently have a branch on 4th Avenue in Canyon. Mm -hmm. And we are we have purchased a piece of property and are building an, a second branch in Canyon. If you're familiar with, if you take Sansi South to where it gets to VFW, and then there's the Hunsley intersection. Right. There's a new Tootin Totem right there. Right. We've purchased the lot just north of the Tootin Totem. So as you're heading south, it'll be on the east side of VFW. Okay. And we're building another branch there in Canyon. And when that branch is complete in August, the professional staff from the Fourth Avenue branch will move to that facility. Okay. And we're going to gut and renovate the Fourth Avenue branch and reopen it hopefully by the end of the year. That's our goal. We'll see how construction goes. And it will be a co-branded BuffSmart WT ECU student-led branch. Okay. So we will have WT students in the branch serving all the financial needs that our members and consumers in the community have. They'll be taking deposits, doing withdrawals, opening accounts, taking loan apps. I mean, it'll be a full-service financial institution. The great part about it is these WT students, in many cases, will actually, not only will they be working and getting paid, which college students love, they'll be getting internship credit in a lot of these cases. Hmm. And we're expanding it beyond just the financial services of the branch. We're partnering with, I think it's 1910 is the marketing yeah, the, arm there. the PR so the PR firm. PR firm. So we are using them to help on the rebrand and the marketing of the new facility when we do it. There will be WT students that come in and help on marketing, training, okay. IT probably. We're going to, as much as possible, give WT students the ability to get paid, get real professional experience that will go on their resume. Our tagline, I can't believe I've gotten this far into it without saying this, but our tagline is learn more, live more. And the, we adopted that about two years ago. And the reason we did is our name, Education Credit Union, can be limiting to someone in the community. Because they hear the name, they think, oh, is it for educators, right? right? And I found that pretty common when I got here in 2019 when I was talking to people. And so we want to remain true to our scholastic roots, but we need to be able to speak to the community and say, but we're here to serve you. And so that's what Learn More, Live More is about. And all of our marketing and brand awareness things that happen now are about if you learn more about your financial life, you will live a better life. And at Education Credit Union, we help you learn more and live more. So we're taking the name and spinning the focus from serving educators to delivering financial education. Okay. So like I said, remain true to our scholastic roots as we do that. Um, but for these WT students, I mean, it, they talk about learning more and living more. They're going to learn real life financial institution skills that I'm convinced will help them get better jobs when they graduate from WT. Now, selfishly, we're hoping it's some a of them, yeah, we're hoping some of them move right on over because we know how tight the labor market is, um, and we fully expect that'll happen. But for the ones that don't choose to join ECU, they will be better set for whatever their next career is. I was going to say there, there's also the the opportunity, and, and maybe this is part of the 
the discussions that you've had. I believe that when you know a college student opens their first checking account or gets really personally involved with a bank or financial institution, they tend to tend to stay there mm-hmm. quite a while. Right. Uh, and and so you're you're not only giving these students the opportunity to work there, but you're also opening something that is very accessible to WT college students who right. maybe are developing their first relationships with a financial institution. Yeah, 100%. Selfishly, we believe we will build lifelong members that'll come. And especially with technology today, even the ones that don't stay local and move away, they can continue doing all of their financial mm-hmm. services with the credit union. So so while it's a, it's a big investment we're making in the partnership with WT, it's going to be great for the students over there. It's not, it's not like a charity thing. This is right. really good yeah. for education credit union as well. Um, we'll benefit from it um, as well. It's just one of those great win-win partnerships that um, we couldn't be more excited about. And you had mentioned why I had this done before. So I don't know that the exact model exists. Now, there are um, credit unions with branches on college campuses all over the country, and I'm sure they hire students sometimes sure. to work in the branches. It's the connection we've tied in with the Busmart program, with the internship opportunity that's there, the co-branding of the branch with Busmart and WT. It might exist somewhere else, but it, it, it's there's not a lot of places that yeah, exist. So. It feels pretty unique. I, I, yeah. I wonder to, to close out this section, talking about how you've sort of learned about this market and gotten familiar with Amarillo. What are some of the things that, that you've come to realize about this economy, about the mm. The economic development here, the business opportunity here. I know you're a part of all of those discussions, right. and and it's unique here in Amarillo, different from other places. What can you you know say about it as an outsider who's you know recently gotten their feet wet? Sure. So I mean, the economy in Amarillo is strong. You you can drive around the city and see that. I mean, the construction that's going on, the infrastructure that's being built. I mean, it's very rewarding to be a part of that. I think our biggest weakness right now is talent. We have hmm. to find a way to grow more of our own talent and recruit talent to come in, um, you know, with specific expertise. You know, we do have a couple large employers that tend to attract the majority of the, let's say, IT talent. I think a lot of that yeah. probably ends out at Pantex and Bell, and, and it's hard to compete with them, you know, for, for competition. So we need to find ways to generate more of that IT-trained talent that we can access. Um I, the development that's occurring inside home building and I look at the new Kids Inc. project that's yeah. um, going in, just amazing what that's going to be for the community. It feels like to me as I've done my research, and this could be wrong, but it, it's anecdotal at least. I think a lot of the growth that's happening in Amarillo is actually, so some of it is the, all right, someone moves, leaves California, they leave Arizona, they leave different areas and, and they're coming to settle here. At least what I see more often than that, though, is it's really more, if you drew about a 200-mile circle around Amarillo, it feels like there's a lot, it's almost like a magnet for a lot of the smaller communities in that greater panhandle area, mm-hmm. I'll call it, and, you know, what, eastern New Mexico, western Oklahoma, the panhandle, some of that, um, north Texas, is people are coming to Amarillo from smaller communities because of healthcare, education, retail. You know, I mean, I really feel like we're benefiting from that kind of migration in that 200-mile circle. That's not really great for those smaller communities, though, sure. right? There is a sure. well, it's good for us. There's there's a downside for those communities too. So I think that's something we want to be sensitive to, and we think about the larger Panhandle area, um, and not just Amarillo. But I don't know if I answered your question. <laughs> no, I, I, I feel I, like I started I rambling for a minute there. No, I, I, and I think that's legitimate. Something to think about um, because we will grow, mm-hmm. and and that's a big reason we'll grow. The same reason that, you know, the Metroplex grows is it is attracting people right. from those rural areas. But that rural mindset is very much a part of this area, too. And so you don't want to grow at the expense of all those other communities that right. 
you know, that's that's where the feedlots are. That's where a lot mm-hmm. of the uh, the workforce is. Yeah. Uh, and so it's, it's kind of finding that balance within the local economy. It has been interesting as an outsider to, when I first got here, to watch some of the play at the city level, right, as we've tried to pass some uh, bond referendums and mm-hmm. spending things, whether it was on the Civic Center or different things. And, and I do, it, it's interesting, you tend to get the, I think the louder voices tend to be ones that are more um, opposed to activities. It's hard for whatever reason. It's hard for people that are supportive of something to be as loud and forceful and, right. and pushy, for lack of a better term, than people that oppose something. I think that's human nature. I've seen it everywhere I've, where I've been. But I do think there are some strategic decisions we need to make as a community to set ourselves up for the growth that, that's coming because the growth is coming. So mm-hmm. we can either be prepared for it or we can be a market that outgrows its infrastructure. Yeah, and Atlanta is a great example of it. It's a market that outgrew its infrastructure, and in many ways, there's friction and it's chaotic. And um, you're always catching up. Yeah, and, and well, and once you fall behind, you can't catch up. Yeah. Right? It's almost it's almost uh, whatever the egg and the chicken or whatever the analogy would be. But if you fall behind on infrastructure, the idea of getting caught up is the investment's just too hard. So I really hope that we will continue. Like the porch to plane mm-hmm. initiative can be huge for us. If you know, and I'm not sure. Lo- I don't know enough about it locally. To know what. Whether I know there's federal dollars involved, I know there's some state things that have to happen. If there are local decisions that have to be made, I hope we'll be as supportive as we possibly can, and you know, and drive for that. I have gotten um, engaged with the chamber to a certain degree. We try to be as um, support. We have a team members also. Lindsey Murphy's on the board of the okay. chamber as well, um, and so it, through those meetings, you know, I'm learning more about in Amarillo and, and business services that we need. Um, so anyway. I just think, I hope we'll be forward thinking and not allow, and I'm not going to say that all the negative voices are wrong. There there could be very valid comments they're making. Well, then let's get in a room and let's figure it out because just because if this plan isn't right, it's not about then let's don't do anything. Right. Let's fix this plan. What would make this plan right so that you could be supportive of it? Um, We need to do that as a community to grow the ways we want to grow. This episode of Hey Amarillo is supported by the Texas Outdoor Musical. Spring is here, and that means it's time to start thinking about your summer plans, and that means reserving tickets for the Texas Outdoor Musical in Paladuro Canyon. Last year, more than 46,000 people attended this family-friendly show, which is now in its 56th season. The season begins in June under the leadership of new artistic director Stephen Crandall, whom you met in the March 7th episode of this podcast. If you didn't listen to that, go back and listen. It's a good one. Anyway, reserve your tickets now at texas-show.com. That's texas-show.com. Okay, I'm back. This is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. Eight Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum in Canyon on the WT campus. It's the largest history museum in Texas, and its Pioneer Town collection includes a bank as it would have looked in the late 1800s and early 1900s. Uh, and I, I believe... The, the actual bank in Pioneer Town, its floor is inspired by the tile floor of Canyon's first national bank around 1908. Very cool. So you can learn more about that at panhandleplains.org. You can see it. You can walk into it. Okay, so uh, Eric, the, the, the first question I want to ask is one that I've been asking my guests over the past several months, but what's one thing the pandemic has revealed to you about local people? Well, I, I started earlier and mentioned how friendly and nice everyone was. The, the pandemic has displayed that on steroids. I have been shocked and pleasantly surprised at how giving the local community is, how we've rallied around small businesses, how we've supported and helped one another. Um, 
I, I just think that a lot of business had to make decisions on the fly. And mm -hmm. I feel like every case of where I was involved in and saw the decisions were trying to be made in the best interest of the team members, the customers that would use that business. Let's keep everybody safe and healthy and try, at least locally, I think we were more patient with each other than a lot of areas in the country were. So I think there was, while we might have disagreed over some decision, I think we came at it from the perspective of, you know, I think everyone's trying to do the right thing. I might not agree with what you're doing, right. but right. I don't think your motives are bad. And I've been very pleased with just how open and welcoming people are to to that idea and, and to be patient with one another. Okay. Other than wind, what does this area have too much of? I'm going to take wind off the table because I know that's what everybody wants to say. Well, it, it, and it's a factor of the wind. It'd probably be the dust and the dirt. That's that's been a <laughs> that's been a shocker to me. To if you park a car outside, it will not be clean. Yeah, I mean that was when I, I prepped the question. That is the thing. There's dust not and dirt. there's not blowing dust storms in Atlanta. The <laughs> no. trees catch all that stuff before it. Okay, what does this area not have enough of? Another great question. Um, so you mentioned trees. I mean, so from a geographic standpoint, I would love a little more green and, and trees and hills. Um, but I, I would go back to get more serious about it. I mean, I touched on earlier, we really need to find a way to keep local talent and recruit new mm -hmm. talent in. So okay. it's let's keep that homegrown talent here and let's find a way to recruit more talent to us. Okay. How do you describe Amarillo to people outside this area? Yeah. So it does start with the geography, right? As I mentioned, I came from wet, green, and hilly. And so when I'm back home there, I'm back with family there and friends, you know, it's always, well, you're not going to believe how flat this place Think is. Think of the opposite and, of this. Yeah. And well, and, and this is going to sound funny, but the sky is so big mm -hmm. that, that when you live out here, you don't appreciate it. But when I came out the first time and landed at the airport and was driving out, I was just like, you can see forever every direction, right? So you get that geographic difference that's so different from where I was at. Love the sunsets. They're amazing out here. Um, but then when I start describing, I tend to focus in on the people, right? Mm -hmm. The fact that that it's a friendly, welcoming community. Um, I talk about the fact that industry out here, how low the unemployment rate is, how um, there's a lot of industry looking for new people to hire. Um, yeah, I mean, those are, those would be the things I highlight. Okay. What's your favorite neighborhood in Amarillo? Well, I'm, I'm selfish. I live in the Greenways, so I'm going to go with the Greenways. But I, but I will share with you, I want to make, um, I hope we keep investing in downtown. My first year here, um, I didn't know anything about the community. And before we bought a house, I actually rented a loft at the Firestone downtown. Did you really? Okay. Yeah, and so so you've actually lived there. I lived in the Firestone for a year. And to be honest, if the pandemic hadn't have landed in March of 2020, because that kind of closed everything down, closed down the sod poodles. We might have even stayed stayed another year. Okay, But no, so we lived in the loft. I don't know if Gary and Sally Jennings mm -hmm. on the loft, um, the Firestone, and loved it down there. Love the idea of living somewhere where you can walk to restaurants, walk to entertainment, right. walk. To, so um, while I'm now in the Greenways, and that's my favorite neighborhood or community, I really hope we'll keep revitalizing downtown and um it's really see that become a vibrant live, work, play yeah, area. Yeah, I think that that's really exciting that we're moving in that direction. I know there are a lot of steps that need to take place, mm -hmm. you know, to, to get to where you really do have people who live downtown and not right. just a few lofts in the Firestone, but, right. but multiple buildings. Uh, what's your favorite local restaurant? That, that one's so tough because we have so many good ones. So we love OHMS, Macaroni Joe's, Public House, Drunken Oyster, but, mm -hmm. but you're going to make me pick my favorite. I'd go with Crush. Okay. Yeah. yeah. They're all amazing, but it'd be 1A, 1B, 1C. All right. one. They're awesome. Okay. That's a, that's a legit <laughs> answer. What's your favorite local coffee shop? Palace. Okay. Yeah, I tend to go over there 34 and I mean, yeah, 34 and Coulter is the okay. one I end up at regularly. So. Is uh, there's there's a lot of um, a good coffee culture in Atlanta. I mean, mm -hmm. did, did you have 
a shop like Palace that, that you visited there? Does Palace feel like anything different or new here? Well, actually, yeah. So from where I, I was up in the Burbs, mm-hmm. so we were start we were basically chain land up there from coffee standpoint. Okay. You're, you know, all your Starbucks and those types of things. So it's been nice being but now in in the city of Atlanta, you get a lot of counterculture coffee and things right. like that. They're very well known. And that Palace has that feel to it. Okay. Yeah, I, I enjoy going. Um, yeah, I really like going in there. It's a cool feel and um, yeah, it's enjoyable. Okay. When was the last time you visited Paladuro Canyon? Yeah. I'm going to have to turn in my Amarillo card. I haven't been yet. Um, it's funny. We, when we moved here in July of 19, I want to say it was probably August. We've only been here a month or two. And we drove down on a Saturday morning. We were going to go in not knowing what that meant. And when we got you whatever. You saw the line of cars. Oh, I mean, it, it was forever. And so we turned around and headed back yeah. out. And um, my I have grown children that have come to Amarillo, and while they were here, my wife has gone down with my daughter and my son that on days when I was at work, and I still haven't been down there. So because of this podcast, I will yeah. make the effort and get down to Paladero Well, it's, it's, it's the work part that becomes an issue. You need to go down on a weekday when you don't have the long line of, of people trying to get right. in. That's the best time, but not everybody can do that. <laughs> Okay, well, uh, Eric, that concludes the eight straight questions. I like to close by asking my guest to endorse something. So what's yeah. one thing you would want listeners to know about or to experience? Yeah, so the thing I want to endorse locally, if it, are you familiar with Amtech? I am, yeah. Okay. So Amtech, the career academy that AISD has built over on Plains Boulevard, It's if, for listeners, if they don't know, it's the old Sears Hastings building that has been redone. It is the most impressive academic facility for secondary education I've seen in my life. Wow, okay. Unbelievable. 250,000 plus square foot, 37 career paths. Um, it's just incredible. Jay Barrett's the principal over there, Doug Loomis and Patty and all the team at AISD. What they have built in Amarillo, Texas, I think I think that will drive growth here and change um, in the community as much as any other investment that's been made. I agree. Um, when you're over there to see the kids, what the, the tools they're working with are better than what local businesses have. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm com- you're going to have kids go through the programs over there, and then when they get to work, they're like, oh, this is the stuff we have to yeah. use because the stuff I used at Amtech was... <laughs> I've seen you know, commercial chefs go in there and look at their commercial kitchen and just been like... Holy cow, I did not know this is what... Jason, I've, I've been blown away. It, yeah. It's very impressive over there. And, and so I would just... It, it's 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 unique, not just obviously in the here or the Panhandle. It's unique in the country. I, okay. I don't think there's hardly anything else like it. So we were connected to a career academy um, in Atlanta in a county that I... And it was something I thought was pretty nice. I mean, it was cool, but... Uh, Amtech blows it. It's not. They're not. It's not even fair to compare them. I mean, okay. it's two different experiences. And when I think of our kiddos inside AISD getting to go in there and the training they're going to get, um, just amazing. Yeah, it's a really impressive project. It's just getting started. I mean, right. that's what's exciting about it is is to see the impact of that over the next few years. Yeah. So, if I can, one last little comment on that one. I'll take um, it. Since we're on there. So just like the BuffSmart branch that we're building up down in Canyon for WT students. ECU has a branch at Amtech. Okay. And we have hired six juniors that we are now training and onboarding, and um, they're working for the credit union, getting paid during the school day. All right. And in August, when they start their senior year, they'll all work two to three hour shifts, and that branch will open up to serve the public. So they'll be paid employees of the credit union, and they'll be Amtech students getting high school credit. Wow. They're at Amtech. So, okay. Uh, so we talked about that grow them there, then move them off to somewhere else, and hopefully they come to work for us. But that sounds self-serving without us being there. Amtech's amazing, and I would highly endorse it. All right. I agree with that. Eric Jenkins, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you, Jason. Really enjoyed it. 
And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Eric for the interview. Find out more about Education Credit Union at educationcu.com. Thanks to Angelina Marie for editing this episode. And thanks to our sponsors, SKP Creative, the Texas Outdoor Musical, and Panhandle Plains Historical Museum. If you like this podcast, please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and leave a review. That helps other people find the show. As usual, this podcast exists on a weekly basis because of listeners like you and the local people who support it financially through patreon.com slash heyamarillo. Heyamarillo's executive producers include Patrick Burns, Wilson Lemieux, Josh Wood, Corey Burns, Wes Reeves, Jason Burr, Katie Linger, and Barbara and Jim Witten. This has been episode 242. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.